Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. So we are getting towards the last emotion. Uh, We've been utilizing a book called... um, Uh, Voices of the Heart by Chip Dodd. And he has eight different emotions in there. Now, we're going to add emotion uh, next week on trauma. Just wanting to talk about racial trauma because I think it has a unique experience for black and brown people. So that's not really set in the book, but more so what we felt like we needed to discuss as a community. But this emotion that we deal with uh, at the end of the book and at the end of this series essentially is the emotion of gladness. The, the only positive emotion that we ended up talking about. Now, I think one of the things that's important that we note is that when you think about that, like, why do we only have one positive emotion? One of the things that I think if we're honest with ourselves, much of the emotions that stick to us, the ones that feel the weightiest are the ones that are negative, like uh, sadness, like anger, right? Like hurt. Those are emotions that we have to deal with. And when we are moving through life and you have your greatest celebration, now you celebrate a graduation, you celebrate a wedding, you celebrate new life in a child, all of those things are wonderful. But even after the celebration, if we're honest, there's this unique moment that we have knowing that, that when that celebration comes to an end, when people leave your home, when the birthday is over, there is this part of you that is still incomplete. Have you ever felt that like you've been binge watched a show um, on like Netflix and you came to the last episode and you were just like, at the end, you like, you feel this sadness at the end. Um, you, you, might've, you might've been a part of some kind of campaign or you, you tried to get, uh, you know, you tried to, to raise money. But, but whenever we have these mountaintop moments, we just, we can't help but look down into the valley just for a second. We have this ache inside of us. And when we have that ache inside of us, we want it to go away. That's why we, we try to sensationalize things. In other words, we try to drink or smoke. We try to watch things just to be able to get rid of that emotion, to stimulate ourselves beyond that emotion. The truth is, is that we live in a tragic world where things are incomplete, where relationships are incomplete. And it is our ability to be able to accept that we live in a tragic world that enables us to be glad. Because more often than not, we're trying to find gladness and joy in incomplete things. We're trying to find joy in a spouse, joy in a child. And if you can accept that this is a tragic world, that things are incomplete, that relationships will be broken, that things won't always work out, then you'll end up being a person who can accept the tragic nature of it and live in a state of joy because your joy comes from the Lord. Your gladness will be sustained. The essence of our message today is How can we diagnose those moments 
those moments where we feel that incompleteness and move into a place, a, a place of gladness and not a place of cynicism, of bitterness, of anger, because life isn't what you thought it would be. Um, Chip Dodd would say, gladness is the pleasure of life with your heart being fully involved. It's being able to experience the full range of emotions, but it's the willingness to feel all those emotions mixed with gladness. One of the quotes he had in there said that the gift of gladness is joy with sadness. Knowing both are in this world. This world is impaired. We know that the only time that we will experience full joy is in the presence of the Lord. And one day when we're with him in his full presence, then there will be no more pain. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more dying. If you can't embrace that, then you'll end up becoming an old, mean person. You met any of them? An old, cynical person? You can be a 40-year-old cynical person. You get married. You about to get married? Whoa. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. You going to have a baby? You have kids? <laughs> kids are tough. They're tough. They're tough. You become that person that always runs to where pain is because they've defined life as pain because they thought life could be full. They thought, they thought a new relationship would bring healing. When it, and when it brought pain, they defined that relationship as pain. People who try to find satisfaction and joy in a new season always end up disoriented, disillusioned, angry, and cynical. And those spaces never could bring joy. The myth oftentimes that we bring to gladness is that um, you, know, you meet these people, a hardened, apathetic heart leads to authentic joy. And, and what he means by that is, if I just become a hard-hearted person, I can make it through life. In other words, you know, you know um, these people that are unbothered, they don't feel, they're emotionally untouchable. Don't let people get to you. And so they remain with a hard heart. In fact, oftentimes we make heroes out of hard-hearted people because they make bitterness seem like it's strength. In reality, they're just people who've decided, I felt some feelings I don't want to feel anymore, so I've decided not to feel anymore. I don't reach out for people anymore. I isolate myself. And I won't, I'll only connect with a few, but not anymore because relationships are dangerous. This apathetic feeling causes you to become a hard-hearted person because the bitterness of the incompleteness of this world has left you cynical. And the truth is, is that apathy is the counterfeit expression of joy or of gladness. It is the essence of us buying into the American dream that we can be happy in this world. And, it is, and when you go into a pursuit of happiness, happiness being happenstances, it's about your circumstances. If you try to have a pursuit of happiness, what you will do is you will try to control all circumstances so that you can feel better about it. You essentially become a control freak and you don't want things to work out poorly. In fact, something being incomplete, life not working the way you thought it was, is, is death to you because you've worked so far, hard to find joy in things. 
Voth put it this way, the external world can provide what the, the, the external world cannot provide what my heart desires to live fully. There's nothing in this world that we can finally and truly find joy in. Ecclesiastes 1.8 puts it this way, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon was saying that you're, you're gonna look for a new thing. You're gonna see it, but your eye gate won't be fully satisfied. You'll wanna hear a new thing, but your ear gate will not be fully satisfied. All of our senses and all of our emotions are constantly in this pursuit of a new satisfaction and a new joy. And we cannot allow ourselves to think that the new thing I need, a new thing I want is just actually just okay and not completing. We are incomplete people looking for complete things in this world, knowing the only complete thing we have is Christ. One of the things that I think we as an American church must do is help people so that when you are in a season and people are about to come into your season that you're in, you warn them with the full sense of the range of the emotions that are in your season. In other words, if you are married and you meet people who are about to get married, tell them marriage is cool, but marriage doesn't complete you. If you meet the married couple and they're about to have a child, tell them children are cool, but children don't complete you. If you get a new job, that's cool, but it does not complete you. When I got married, I was around a lot of single people and I'd been married a few years and you know, people were like, man, they wanted to know how it is. And I essentially made up a word. It's amazing, whack, okay sometimes. It's just one word. It's amazing, whack, okay sometimes. My, my, my wife is amazing, but sometimes it's okay, and sometimes it's whack, sometimes. It's amazing, whack, okay, sometimes. That's what marriage is, and you know that new job? It's amazing, whack, okay, sometimes. It's amazing, it's whack, it's okay, sometimes. It's all of those range of emotions. See, the, the thing is, is that we try to define something new as complete, it's not. It's amazing, whack, okay, sometimes. Do you know there are people who have left our church? Praise God for them, I love them. Because our church is whack. And I'm like, yeah, that new church, it's amazing whack okay sometimes. That new husband, they'll be amazing whack okay sometimes. Children, do you, I have beautiful children, they're beautiful. They're amazing whack okay sometimes. Things are okay, but they're not all that. And if you can just sober yourself to that reality, you'll find joy in the right things. When you buy into the lie that seasons and things can stimulate, can, can stimulate that feeling, then what ends up happening is you end up buying into desires of arousal and stimulation. You just, listen, you just wanna feel good. 
Oftentimes, people even come to church not because they're seeking Jesus, they're seeking good feelings. They want to be stimulated. And essentially, we're lusting. When we lust, we are craving for something to stop our heart's hunger. When we are lusting, we function out of the fear that our heart's desires will not be met. So we seduce and we manipulate and we beg and we need a new thing. And so we'll drink, we'll smoke, we'll find, we'll, we'll, we'll flirt, we'll do whatever we can, but we need that new feeling. It's short-sighted though. Lust is short-sighted because you, you'll watch porn and you'll binge and then you'll feel bad. Then you'll go out and you'll sleep with somebody and you'll feel bad and you'll drink, but after you feel bad and you'll smoke and then you'll feel bad and you'll flirt and you'll feel bad. And then you have all these things. And what's happening is you're going from one weekend of stimulation to another weekend of stimulation and you are never, ever satisfied. And like a fool, the Bible says like a dog that goes back to his vomit so is a fool that goes back to their folly. And you looked a mess last weekend. And you got up and you were like, oh God, where am I? And you felt horrible. And then you did it again. Because you're trying to find things you know are incomplete, but they're incomplete, but they feel good. So you keep doing them. And the truth is, we often substitute stimulation for gratification. We think, I just want to feel good. It doesn't, you know it doesn't satisfy you. You know it's not gratifying, but you just, you will trade in the fullness of joy with Christ for five minutes of, of gladness, five minutes of peace on a computer. You'll trade that in because you just feel it. And that's where the temptation comes in. It draws you in just for those few moments. And it is our way that it is our antidote for loneliness. We're alone and we just want to feel good. If we could just be, if you could just pause, sin would not be so seducing if it didn't feel good. And so the feeling is what we're looking for. And when we get tired of all that, God is still there waiting for us to find joy in him. Matter of fact, that's how some of you came to Christ. You just tried to find joy in all these different things. And finally, you walked into the house of the Lord because you had given up all your other attempts at other things. You, you, didn't, you didn't choose Christ, you surrendered to him. Because you realized, I've tried everything else. And I just found that he's... He's actually good. No, this, this was okay. He's good. David teaches us how to have a heart of gladness. In Psalm 16, if I could just walk you through Psalm 16, I want you to see how David the psalmist constructs a life of gladness. Not a life of up and down. Not a life of stimulation after stimulation. A life of sustained gladness. I wonder if you want that tonight. Psalm 16, he says, verse one, preserve me, O God. And the way it's rendered there, it's like protect me. Keep me strong, O God. Rescue me, he is saying. 
In essence, what he's longing for, the beginning of this prayer is, God, I need safety in this tragic world. And so he looks to him and he says, so then he declares, after he says, preserve me, he says, all right now, it's in you I take refuge. The imagery of refuge is a safe space amidst turmoil and tragedy. It is where the it is where the, uh, the, the guilty would run to for safety, a safe refuge. He's saying, you, I, I want you to preserve me. You are my safety. I'm, I'm, I'm all in with you, God. And then he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Now, in Hebrew, those two words for Lord are two different words. The first word for Lord is the personal God, Adonai. That is the personal name of God. But the second word for Lord is the title Lord. In other words, he says, Lord, personal God, you are my Lord, leader God. He says, God, you are actually my leader. You see, what he's saying is, I'm not one of these people that just go to church and I hang out and I use Christian titles and names. I actually want you to be the leader of my life. I want you to run my life. I want you to actually, not, I don't want us to have be on first name basis. I want you to direct my life. And so he says, in light of all that, I have no good apart from you. Look at what David lays out there. I will not find life in circumstance. I will not find life in marriage. I will not find life in resources or a new job or children. I find no good apart from you. That doesn't mean things aren't okay apart from you. Things are amazing whack okay apart from you, but I find no good apart from you. You are good. And this is a, this, David is starting this prayer off with a decision he has made. I'm all in with you, God. I'm going nowhere else. It's me and you. I've decided. I've made that decision. You're my Lord. But it's interesting. Now he kind of whittles down. At the end of this, in verse 9, he's going to say, therefore my heart is glad. So he's kind of telling us the pathway towards gladness. He starts off with telling us, I'm all in with the Lord. I'm not trying to search anywhere else. But then in verse 3, he says, now, as for the saints of the land, some would be rendering it the holy ones. They are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Do you know what this is talking about? God's people. He says, essentially, as for the people of God, I find delight in the people of God. Now, this is a very important point, one that I can't hang out on too long. Why do you have more fun with your unbelieving friends than church friends? Now, I'm not saying, you know, y'all went to the Lauryn Hill concert and it was amazing, right? Y'all binge watched some show together, it was amazing. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, I'm not talking about momentary, you know, moments you have with other people. This is what I'm saying. It doesn't make sense that if Jesus is your highest joy, that you find the most of your joy with people who don't have Jesus as their highest joy. It would make more sense that if you have joy in Jesus and I have joy in Jesus, that our joy just multiplied. You see, when uh, the other day we had a, a couple over, Brandon and Marika, and we talked about the presidency, we talked about other, but eventually we started talking about Jesus. 
not because we were like, I guess this is what we ought to do. It's because we both find love in him. And so when that happens, is that's fellowship. And, and so I, I, I want to encourage you. He says gladness comes from though when you start to position your life and find the prioritization of people in your life who find joy in the same Jesus you find joy in. When you, when you partner with people who find joy in the same things, joy is multiplied. So he says, this is where I find delight. It's in the people of God. And ultimately, we get past the shows. Ultimately, we get past the election. Ultimately, we get past the trivial things of rent and all that, and then we just start, start talking about our love for God. And when they talk about Jesus and I talk about Jesus, Jesus is in the house, and we start, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a presence over that time. And so he says in verse four, now look, he says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. They, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. <clears throat> I don't have time to go into a lot of detail here, but the essence of this is um, blood offerings were done in all types of religions. Blood offerings were done in, the, uh, in, uh, in Israel as well. But the difference was they would never drink blood. They would only use blood. They'd put it on the tips there in, 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 the, uh, in the Holy of Holies. They'd put it on like different horns there, and, but they would never drink the blood. What he is getting at, and then when you look at the end there, he says, I, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He says, I will not even utter the name of an idol God. And what you see from David is, not only do I position my life with the people of God, I have a hyper sensitivity to idolatry. I am very sensitive that I will give allegiance to someone or something outside of you so much so that I'm careful about the things that I say that may even sound like I'm big upping someone or something, not like I would give you praise. Um... Many of you know, uh, I was in a fraternity. I am in a fraternity, um, Omega Psi Phi. And when I pledged in college, you know, uh, I was a very loud person. I still am essentially, amen. And, um, you know, we would be in parties and, and then we, we had this one song that we would sing, all of my love, my peace and happiness, I'm gonna give it to Omega. And, and you know, we, and that's, you know, we're halfway drunk, amen. And we're just like trouncing around the party and all this. And then there came a point where I started walking with God. I started growing in God. I started reading the word. I started fellowshipping. And then, I, and then, listen, I'm not even saying this is evil. I just said, can I say I give all of my love, my peace and happiness to an organization and say I give it to God? Now, I'm not actually saying if you're in a fraternity or a sorority and you say that you're evil. I'm just saying over time, when you are saturated with the presence of God, you begin to have a sensitivity about idolatry. Would I ever say anything that would not make God pleased? Would I ever put myself in a position to honor things that are not honoring to God? And so I'm very cautious of aligning myself, causing myself to be in an allegiance with anyone or anything outside of the Lord. Then he says in verse five and six, he says, the Lord is my portion and my cup. 
You hold my lot, verse six. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When he says the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, it is the picture of a king. A king who has all these choice meats in front of him and of the best delicacies and wines. And one of the things that a king would have is he would not only have the greatest steak, but he'd have the best portion of it. And that would be the way that you would honor the king by giving the best portion of the meat to them. He would not only have wine, but he would have the best wine in his cup. And the imagery he is giving is saying that you are my portion. You are what I choose. You are where I get satisfaction. You are my cup of wine in which I delight in. You are what I find joy in. I find my greatest satisfaction in you. And then he says, you hold my lot, and that is a picture of saying that you are sovereign over my life. There, there, the, the lines have, have fallen for me in pleasant places, meaning you know my, the boundaries of my life, the habitations of my life. Basically, the way life ends up for me is because of you. You see, David has considered that his life essentially is gonna be held in the palm of God's hand, and he's saying, I choose God above all else. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Solomon says, at the end of the day, There is an eternal space in our hearts that we long for God. And if we're honest, we would choose God over things so we would bask in his presence and not find ourselves falling into the habits of things that will not last. Then in verse seven through nine, he says, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel In the night also my heart instructs me. I I take in what the Lord has to say about his counsel. I take in what he instructs me about in verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And then finally in verse nine. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure. There David kind of just walked us through how he chooses the Lord, how he is his portion, how he's made the refuge, the Lord, how he seeks the Lord, how he wants the Lord's counsel, how he wants the Lord's instruction. And then he says in verse eight, I have set the Lord always before me and it's because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And he says, that's why I'm glad, because I am constantly putting the presence of God before me. I don't put anything before his presence. I choose God, and I choose him moment by moment. Look, he's always before me, so I'm not shaken. I'm not afraid. And no matter what the circumstances may come, I know God is next to me. And I know God 
is before me. So that's why I'm secure. Going into 2021, no matter what you say, the fact of the matter is you are looking for happiness. You are trying to find something that's going to make life better. You're trying to find something that's going to satisfy your heart. You say, how can I be happier in 2021? And some of you are going to move and you are going to do a new diet. And I hope you end up looking as fine as you want to be. And some of you are going to get a new job. And I hope that job, I hope you make just tons of money. Some of you are going to get new relationships. And I hope those relationships are amazing. I hope that person is just, oh, just, just blows your mind. I hope all those new things bring you everything you thought it could. But the fact of the matter is, in addition to those new things, there will still be old problems. In 2021, there will be problems you can't solve. And in 2021, there will be people who won't change. That's facts. There, there will be people and problems right in 2021. And you, and you will be, sh- listen, you'll be shaken. You'll get a new job and you'll, everything will be working out and then your relationship's not, not working. You're shaken. You, you look cute and now you're taking pictures of yourself and now your clothes start fitting tighter and you're always on Instagram and you, you, you are fine but things aren't working out with your roommate. You're shaking. You finally, finally got that set of friendships you wanted and you just love them and those are your boys and those are your girls and you're connected. Things are going so well. But then there's a health issue you weren't ready for and you're shaking. And so you do you understand what David was saying here was it's because the Lord is ever before me. That's why I'm glad and I'm not shaken. And in 2021, you will be shaken by new problems or you'll be secure in Christ. He says in 16.8, I have set the Lord always before me because the Lord will not change. Years ago, in about 2005 or six, I saw a cute movie. I didn't even see the whole movie. Um, I think Adam Sandler was in it. It was a movie called um, Click. And um, it was very corny, amen. But, um, but it was, the parts I saw was, you know, it was cute. But the essence of the movie was the guy has a remote control and can fast forward through the problems of life. And then he realizes towards the end of the movie that when you fast forward through those problems, you end up missing out on incredible moments of life. And some of you, because you've constructed a heart of happiness, not a heart of joy. You just want to fast forward through the problems. You drink your way through the problems. You binge watch your way through the problems and you try to fast forward through everything. But a heart that is glad is one that accepts sadness and gladness at the same time. Know where to find your joy. If you set the Lord before me, you will not be shaken. But if you try to find peace in circumstantial things, your life will fall apart. Father, we love you. We thank you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would set you before us 
We pray, God, that we would find our gladness and our joy in you. We pray, God, that you, Lord, would be our Lord. You would be the one we find satisfaction in, and we would rest in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.